We'll be reading verses 1 through 5. Give you a minute to beat me in John chapter 1. The text reads like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Living word, we pray that you would speak your words into us and that the entrance of your word would bring light. To the glory of your name, we pray for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. He was known as the man with all of the answers. But the day came for him to ask a question of God. The place had been decided, the foundation had been laid, the stones had been assembled, and the people had gathered to hear Solomon dedicate the temple to God in prayer. But as Solomon was doing that, he had a question for God. And his question for God was this, will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, Solomon said, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house or this temple that I have built? What a question. Will God dwell on the earth? Well, Christmas answers that question with a resounding yes, doesn't it? Because the black and white teaching of the Bible is that God did come to dwell on the earth in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The point of our passage this morning is the word is God. The word, of course, being Jesus Christ. Now, I've been promising you lot a uh, a mini Advent sermon series for all of December. And the time has finally come. Uh, Lord willing, this morning, this evening, and, uh, and tomorrow morning as well, we're going to be in the first 18 verses of John's Gospel. Why? Well, because perhaps nowhere is the entrance of God into the world captured quite like it is in John chapter 1. 
John begins in eternity. He begins before creation and behind time. And when we summon the courage to peek behind the curtain of time and space and then see God's matchless condescension into his world, our hearts, our minds, our lives can never be the same. Our hearts might be strangely warmed by the familiarity of a of a nativity scene or by the sound of voices singing silent night to with candlelight or the or the flashes of joy that appear in our children's faces as they scramble down the stairs on Christmas morning to open their presents but our hearts won't be inflamed and our hearts won't be changed until we let John take us by the hand and show us the matchless condescension of God in the person of Christ. And therefore, friends, may our hearts catch fire this Christmas. This morning and this evening and tomorrow morning as we look to the, to the heights of heaven. And then to the very depths of that stable there in Bethlehem. The word is God. John tells us the word is God, number one, before creation. The word is God, number one, before creation. Let's just go back to verses one and two of John chapter one. John writes these words, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now what in the world did I just read? Well, John is telling us here that before there was a world, they were, there was a word. A word not written with ink on a sheet of paper pulled from heaven's stationary cupboard. No, a living word. A word that is a who, not a what. Everything that God the Father can say about himself in a person. Just, just go with me on this one for a second, friends. Why do we use words? What do we use words for? Well, we use our words to express ourselves, don't we? And what John is telling us here is that this word, the capital W word, is the self-expression of God the Father in a person. That's why John tells us here that this word was with God, that is the Father, and God too. How can that be? Well, because this person, this word embodies all that God is. He is the Father's Godness, if you like. He is the Father's deity, the Father's holiness, the Father's love, goodness, truth, beauty, purity, sovereignty. He was, he is, he forever shall be God. In the beginning, says John, was the word. Now some of you egghead types might enjoy thinking about gargantuan concepts like this just for the fun of it. I mean, why, why not after all? But, but for the rest of us, for us normal people, we're sat here thinking to ourselves, yes, but so what though, John? 
John, why do your words about this word matter to us at all down here in the real world? Well, friends, wouldn't you agree with me that one of the reasons that our real world can be something of a bleak midwinter experience is because so many of the good things in the world can be so hard to maintain, so hard to, to hold onto. They're a little bit like the, the bar of soap in the bath. One second you've got it, the next second it's gone. Friendships fade, uh, relationships sour, bodies age, youth evaporates, health deteriorates, savings disappear, companies fold, gadgets break, parents die, and time runs out on us all. But John is pointing you here to the one who was infinite glory before the world began, which means if you're in a relationship with him, you don't need the things of the world because you already have him. You have the one who was awesome, glorious, majestic, resplendent before the world even was. So with or without the things of the world, you have all that you could possibly need in him. Regardless of what comes, regardless of what goes in the world. Think about it, pile all of the money up on one side of the scale and all of the experiences that money can buy and add to it the best friends you've ever had and the most comfort you've ever known, all the food that you're going to enjoy today and tomorrow and for the week after, and you put Jesus on the other side of the scale and Jesus outweighs them all. Infinite glory before the world began. And therefore, again, when he's yours, you can take the gains or the losses of the world because he's better. He's the best. He was the best before the world began and he'll be the best after the world as we know it is no more. So when you're in a relationship with him, you can take the gains and the losses of the world. That even when that friendship does fade, and even when that relationship does or even has soured and when the body ages and when your time here on earth does run out, you will be okay because you have Jesus, the one with no beginning, the one with no end, the one who precedes all the good things in this created world, the one who was before creation such that you can say to your soul take the world just give me him so listen friend do you know him like that here today do you have Jesus Christ is he more than a concept to you but a person that you know So at this point in in my preparation, uh, I sat in my rocking chair in the corner of my study. I closed my eyes, uh, interlocked my fingers, and my brain started to raid all of the filing cabinets for a story to tell you all, a story of someone who left it all in order to have Jesus Christ. And I found a few good ones there in those filing cabinets, but then a voice came from the golden filing cabinet. And the voice said, Tell them John's story. 
I, I, I mean the John who wrote the words that we're looking at here. You remember how it goes? It goes like this. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. You hear that? Better than business, better than family, better than the hope of riches, better than climbing the ladder of success was and is Jesus. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, believe me when I say this, Jesus Christ calls sinners to follow him like this today. He calls sinners to to, to follow him and to know him and to treasure and to savor him like this today. And if you'll do that today, then you'll possess a treasure that outweighs all the glory in the whole world. And listen, the good news is you don't have to have all the, the answers to your questions before you, you do that. Do you really think that John did when he left the nets in the boat and just started following Jesus around? And you don't have to be perfect to, to follow Jesus. John certainly wasn't. Just read the Gospels and you'll, you'll find that out for yourself. And, and you don't need to have everything right in your life before you can start following Jesus. None of us do. And none of us will ever be perfect in that way. All you need is to hear the voice of God in that northern Galilean accent, when Jesus says to sinners, follow me. And listen today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, but take him, take him up on his invitation and follow him wherever he leads you and you will be richer than your wildest dreams because you'll have him. The word is God, number one before creation. Number two, over creation. The word is God over creation. Look at verse 3. John chapter 1 verse 3. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. The word is God over creation. Now, why is that true? Well, that's true because Jesus made it. He made the world. And, and here is where John's words go from the abstract to the concrete, from the ether to a finger in our chests. Because if Jesus made the world, then it's his. And if the world is his, then either we are his loyal subjects beneath him, or we are traitors trying to usurp him. You don't want to be that. My mom sent me this uh, great little book at the beginning of this month uh, and the author illustrates this point really, really well uh, when he writes these words. He says, I was at a friend's house recently and he took me on a tour of the workshop in his basement. Let me tell you that if you are someone who likes woodwork, this is a place of wonder and delight. 
He, he designed the workshop himself. He, he built the walls and the workbenches. He sealed the room and set up an air filtration system. Now, my friend and his wife keep their home to a beautiful standard. You would be hard-pressed to find a speck of dust anywhere upstairs. But the workshop is a separate zone. The workshop is his room. Dust and tools and half-finished projects and the mess that go with them, well, they're allowed in there. He made the workshop, and so he makes the rules. And friends, this world is Jesus' workshop. The table, the, the chairs, the walls, the tools, he made it, and therefore he makes the rules. And, and for us to live rejecting him, for us to live rejecting his laws and his standards and establishing laws and standards of our own would be just like me barging into your house with paint and a paintbrush in hand, painting, repainting all of your walls, boarding up a bedroom here and your study or office there, moving all of your furniture out, moving all of my furniture in, pouring gravel on your garden, telling you to shift your car, and then feeling frustrated that you're still hanging around. That's what we do when we live in Jesus' world, ignoring him and living our own lives by our own standards. The world calls it sin. And sin is my way of saying to God, my life, my rules in the world that Jesus made. But the slap you in the face shock of Christmas is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The shock of it all is that God loves sinners. He loves the ones who are trying to kick him off his throne in order for them to sit on it themselves. In fact, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever might believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world. So will you believe in the son of God? who came on that rescue mission to save sinners. Will you or won't you? And do you know what? The great irony is those who surrender to the king find themselves to be the freest people of all. It's the surrendered soul that is the free soul. The train that is bound to those railway tracks and fastened to the rails is the train that is free to move. Whereas it's the train in the open field that is stuck in the mud and is going nowhere. The surrendered soul is the free soul. Free from God's judgment, free to love, free to reign with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth, where it's, it's, it's the rebels trying to hold on to their so-called freedom who are stuck in the mud of sin, in the sinking sand of guilt, and in shame and a fearful expectation of judgment to come. You want to be free? Bow the knee to King Jesus. He'll set you free. And if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Wasn't that true for 
for poor little Edmund, bless him. He was so sure, wasn't he, that his was the path to power. So sure that he was made of superior stuff to his stupid brother Peter and his weak sisters, Lucy and and Susan. And the white witch had told him that she saw royalty in him. But the stronger his allegiance to her grew, the tighter her chains became. But once he'd bowed the knee to Aslan, the king who had died for him, he was as free as a bird. And he was a prince, a warrior, a knight in shining armor. And therefore, friend, it doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter how much you've done in your past, the stuff that you're so ashamed of. If you'll bow the knee to Jesus, he'll kick you out with the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and the shield of faith and the shoes of readiness and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He'll make you a knight in shining armor as a liberated and free soul. So the word is God before creation, over creation, and then lastly, in creation as well. Look at verses four and five. In him, the word, Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So according to John's words here then, Jesus Christ is is ultimately the source of all true uh, 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 knowledge. He's, he is the life. But more, says John, Jesus also radiates the knowledge of salvation to a world that is hopelessly lost in sin. John says, Jesus is how we know truth, especially the truth about God's salvation of sinners. It's why Jesus said in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And all of that sounds so positive, doesn't it? He will not walk in darkness, he'll have the light of life. And we we read those words and we think to ourselves, yeah, give me me some of that. Some light in in the darkness. So I remember when we'd first moved here to to Hoylake, our girls were still young enough uh, for me to be able to bribe them with a, a, a drive through Hoy Lake at night, uh, if they'll only behave. So I'd say to them, all right, listen, if we can eat sensibly now, then after our dessert, we can drive through Hoy Lake and we can see the lights. And I loved it every bit as much as, as they did. But Jesus' light is different because the light of Jesus' salvation is so bright that it exposes the darkness within our hearts. It, it, it reveals those dark deeds that we're hiding. It reveals those parts, those places in our lives that we don't want anyone else to know about, especially him. And so Jesus makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable. That's why some of the people that you invited to the, the carol service tonight, they tried so hard, didn't they, to look open 
that they tried to look so hard to look interested and not threatened in any way at all, and yet panic was written all over their faces. Why is that true? Well, because we all know instinctively that Jesus Christ exposes the darkness within us. Listen to this damning verse, John chapter 3, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. And friend, this is the real reason why you don't like coming to church. It's not because it's boring. It's because Jesus is here. And his light freaks you out. But listen. I am living proof that if you will come to the light anyway, he will not condemn you. He will receive you. In fact, He'll cleanse you and he will clothe you with the light of his salvation. I was thinking about it this past week. It's interesting, isn't it? When a baby is in the womb, he or she is in utter darkness. But then when he or she is is born, all of the blood and the gross stuff is is plain to see, it's, it's on display, there's no hiding it, and yet in that condition, the baby is loved. The baby is altogether adored. And, and it's the same when it comes to Jesus. We come to Jesus naked and with nowhere to hide the filth of our pride, the, the wickedness of our jealousy, or our, or our bitterness, our selfish ambition and conceit, our, our hatred of other people, our lust, our love of self. And what does Jesus do? He washes us in his blood and he cleanses us with his salvation. That's my Jesus. And what Jesus did for me, he can do for you. In fact, that's why the word came into the world That's the whole point. And if you're here as a believer today, let me close with this encouragement for you. The darkness of our world did not, cannot, and will not overcome the light of his salvation. We live in dark days, don't we? Only a fool would argue with that. And maybe you feel the darkness a bit more at Christmas time than any other time of the year. You miss that person who's gone more than the rest of the 12 months or 11 months combined and it weighs on you. And then you start to think of the the horrors of war in the world and you begin to think of those poor little children who are going to have Christmas this year without their dads, either because he's fighting or because he's died in battle. And that grieves you as well it should. But listen, friends. Even when it looked like the darkness had won, when Jesus bowed his head on the cross of Calvary, three days later, light blasted from the tomb. And since Jesus lives and lives forevermore, the darkness has not, the darkness will not, the darkness can never quench 
his light. And as time rolls on and as his salvation is received by more and more people, his light is spreading until one day the light will overcome the darkness and the dawn will break on the horizon of history. And the night will be no more because the morning will be here and the sun will have risen and it will be a brand new day. Day is breaking, my friends. Keep your eyes fixed on the horizon and keep your mouth praying. Come, oh Lord Jesus, come. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins releases. Let our find our rest in thee. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us and then we'll sing that wonderful Christmas hymn together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have in the word made flesh something that is so, so much greater uh, than our world because he was before the world began and he was glorious before the world was even made. We thank you that he is over creation and therefore has a claim on our lives. And Lord, we pray that as we grow in our love for him, uh, we, we would love to serve him more. We would love to surrender to him more, knowing that this surrendered soul is the free soul. And Lord, we pray that we would be those who are looking to the word in creation, the one that provides all true knowledge and especially the knowledge of the light of his salvation until we see him face to face and our faith becomes sight. And we ask all of these wonderful things in his precious name. Amen.